says, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. About that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion, rushed into the theater with one accord, and they seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused and most of them did not know why they had come together. Sounds like a mob, doesn't it? Father, we thank you for your spirit and your word that your spirit has given to us. And we pray that everything that was the heart and intention behind your spirit when you inspired these things would somehow be what would find its way into our hearts this morning. Lord, we ask now, help us, prepare us by your Spirit's ministry, and we pray that you would speak to us now by the Spirit what you have spoken in your word, and we ask your blessing upon it in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, I have found that when the Lord is at work, things kind of tend to get stirred up a little bit. A lot of times changes happen and things take place where the pot kind of gets stirred. And let me just say, when things get stirred up by the Lord, that's not always a bad thing. In fact, honestly, sometimes change is necessary for the greater good. And really, that is what we see happening even in today's text. When a work of the Lord or a move of the Spirit of God happens among amongst a group of people, which we saw in our passage last week, it's always evidenced typically by the influence of change that takes place. And even to the far-reaching aspect of even a whole society being kind of stirred up. And when the Lord brings about his work in a community or a city or some location, sometimes the cultural pot gets stirred up and wrong systems and unhealthy activities that people are involved in uh, kind of get disrupted. They come to an end and people begin to ba abandon old sinful practices and they start turning to new habits and new ways of serving the Lord. And when that happens, sometimes those who are still living in darkness get very bothered by that. 
because they don't like the new light that's shining in and that's bringing change or bringing disruption. And that's what we see happening in our passage today. We see an uproar happening in Ephesus due to the work of the Lord that was influencing this city as Paul the Apostle came there in power of the Spirit with his ministry. Verse 21, where we pick up this morning, opens by telling us when these things were accomplished. When these things were accomplished, it's referring us back to what's been happening in chapter 19 so far, which was a powerful work of the Spirit of God. We saw in Acts chapter 19 that a group of disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit and power. We saw that Paul the Apostle began teaching and discipling a group of very hungry believers who really wanted to learn the Word of God. It says for two straight years daily, Paul was teaching and preaching and sharing the Word of God in the school of Tyrannus, kind of intense discipleship. It was almost sort of like an informal Bible school, if you would. And then these equipped and fruitful believers were then as the result of being taught the Word of God, they were going all throughout the area of Asia Minor in that province and were sharing the Word of the Lord. And the gospel was being preached in surrounding communities and people were coming to Christ and Bible studies were popping up. And even churches, it seems, throughout Asia Minor were being planted as the result of this teaching ministry of Paul. And powerful miracles we saw last week were happening. People were being healed of diseases. It says people were being delivered from demonic possession. Lives were being transformed And more than that, it said the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. We saw at the end of our study last week as this powerful move of the Spirit happened that many were openly confessing their sins. Verse 18 said many were coming, confessing and telling their deeds. Verse 19 said, and then many of those who were practicing magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And again, the picture there is just widespread repentance, not just confessing and acknowledging what we've been doing is wrong, but radical turning away from what was sinful and evil and wrong, making a clean break with wrong practices because they're now turning to serve the Lord. In the midst of that, verse 20 concluded, and it transitions us to where we're going now. Verse 20 says, So the word of the Lord grew mightily, and take note of that last word, prevailed. The word of the Lord was prevailing. The idea is it was succeeding in overtaking the darkness. When something prevails, that is, it overcomes. It's experiencing victory and it is overcoming and overpowering the evil and the sin in society in its influence. And it's in light of that we then read in verse 21, so when these things were being accomplished, Paul at that point purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to then go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So Paul at this point, being fully led of the Spirit in his ministry, he begins to make plans we see here in verse 21, and these plans ultimately to go to Rome will actually direct the rest of what we see happening in the book of Acts as Paul ultimately makes his way to Rome. But notice Paul, being led of the Spirit, makes plans for what he wanted to do in the future. And verse 21 there describes for us how Paul's intentions were basically to go back through the area of the region of Macedonia and Achaia where churches had already been established 
to go back, to visit those churches, to minister there, to build up the believers once again further. Then ultimately, he intended to go to Jerusalem once again, sensing apparently that the Holy Spirit wanted him back in Jerusalem for some particular purpose on another occasion. But his ultimate goal, he says at the end of verse 21, was to make it to the capital of the Roman Empire, to the city of Rome. Paul says, after I've gone to Jerusalem, he says, I must also see Rome. Now, ultimately, a church gets planted in Rome, and Paul the Apostle didn't plant that church there. Yet, Paul apparently wanted to go see this church in Rome, the epicenter of the Roman Empire. He wanted to go meet the believers there, probably minister to them, and do whatever he could to further the impact of the gospel in the capital of the Roman Empire. And we see here in verse 21, as we look at these descriptions of what Paul was doing, we take note again in the book of Acts how Paul had ideas Paul had desires that came upon his heart. Paul made plans. That's what verse 21 is describing, his plans, his personal plans. I'm going to go to Macedonia and Achaia. Then I think the Lord's leading me to Jerusalem, but ultimately I think the Lord wants me to get to Rome. And here we see Paul. He's got thoughts. He has ideas. There's desires. He's making plans. He's actually trying to carry out his plans as well. He's not just talking about plans. But take notice in verse 21 how Paul came to his decisions and made his plans. It says in verse 21 that he purposed in the spirit. He purposed in the spirit. The language there refers to being compelled or prompted by the spirit of God's impressions that came upon his heart and mind that caused him to therefore purpose to do what the Holy Spirit was impressing upon his heart that he was supposed to do. He was being directed by the Spirit and that therefore led to him resolving to do certain things. So the plans Paul made were not just his own thoughts. It wasn't his own ideas or desires. Well, I mean, you know, I just, I'm thinking maybe this might be a good idea or that looks like a good opportunity or I don't know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm not happy with what I'm doing here. I'm bored with it. So I think I'm done with Ephesus. And it was none of that. This was Paul genuinely discerning a leading from the Holy Spirit to actually do the things that God was calling him to do and to stay in step with that. Paul was confident that this was the Spirit's leading, so therefore in faith, he purposed to carry this out. He didn't weigh out with that workout circumstantially. He wasn't doing strategic studies. He wasn't saying, what might I like to do in the next season of my life? Where might it be best for me economically or personally? It was none of that. It was Paul being led of the Spirit of God in his life and making his plans accordingly, cooperating, making practical steps when the time was right. Romans chapter 8 says that those who are children of God should be led by the Spirit of God. That should be a distinguishing mark of a child of God. Before you and I were saved, when we weren't children of God, we were led by our human spirit, our impulses, our ideas, our desires, our preferences, our wants, whatever. Or it was our human spirit that drove us to have ideas, desires, and make our plans and carry them out. But once you get saved, you come under the control of the spirit of God as a child of God. And so now inwardly, the spirit of God should be the one leading and directing our lives. And sometimes like Paul, 
we have to learn how to discern and distinguish what it means to be led and guided by the Spirit. That's an important learning process in our Christian lives. I hope you're growing in that area. Learning how, and it's a process, but learning how to be led of the Holy Spirit, not your human spirit. And they're vastly different things. But learning how to be led of the Spirit and stay in step with the Spirit and the Lord's plans. Well, verse 22 says, He then sent into Macedonia, Paul did, two of those who ministered to him, which were Timothy and Erastus. Notice verse 22. But he himself, though he had made plans, he stayed in Asia for a time. So sensing, take note of this, that the time was not right yet for him to leave Ephesus it tells us that he remained there and sent two of his associates ahead to minister on his behalf. It says he sent Timothy, that young assistant and protege that Paul was mentoring in the ministry, as well as Erastus, another fellow helper on Paul's missions team, and he sends them into Macedonia ahead of him. It seems that Paul realized that these two men would be able to go there and to do the same thing that he could in Macedonia. And Paul, sensing it wasn't time for him to release from where he was, it's almost as if he felt it wise to delegate this responsibility or area of ministry. And he said, look, you guys go into Macedonia. You can do the same thing that I can do. You go into Macedonia. And the reason, verse 22 tells us, is that Paul stayed in Ephesus for a time. That is, Paul sense that he was still more needed and useful in Ephesus than he would be to go over to Macedonia. Something within Paul, directed by the Spirit, was causing him to discern he needed to keep at his work there in Ephesus, and that at this point in time, what God had him to do there was not yet completed. That there was still more that he was to accomplish, and he didn't believe the Lord was finished using him there, and that he didn't have a sense of, you might say, release from the Lord to move on. And let me encourage you. Sometimes God may move us on, but be very sure you have a release from the Lord to move on before you just move on. And Paul sensed, you know what? You guys go ahead. I think I need to stay here for a time. So this shows us how Paul reflected on being led of the Spirit by making wise decisions, and we see him here kind of taking into consideration, if you would, even being creative, being flexible, where he said, look, rather than me go, you guys go to Macedonia, I think I need to stay here and remain a little while longer. And he's flexible and waiting upon God's timing because he sensed it wasn't time yet. You know, James chapter 3 tells us that wisdom from above, which is distinguished in James 3 from wisdom that's sensual, or worldly or demonic even it says wisdom from above one of its characterizing marks divine wisdom it says is willing to yield the idea is willing to adjust and to accommodate in given situations one of the marks of god's wisdom is it actually makes you flexible it makes you willing to yield it makes you willing to step back and say you know what i, I can accommodate here I can adjust here and be willing to accommodate and adjust because you're yielding really to God's greater good. And maybe sometimes it's better to send someone else and let somebody else do what you wanted to do. Maybe sometimes it's God's wisdom and best to stay put where you are for a time 
and not be too quick to go rushing off to the next thing. Sometimes that's God's wisdom. And here Paul is demonstrating that. And it's very good, and we'll see in our text, that Paul listened to the Spirit's leading and didn't depart because a major chaotic issue was about to happen among the believers there and it was good that Paul's presence was around as a stable godly leader because he helped in the midst of the chaos and the fact that Paul listened to the Lord and stayed where he was his wise and stable leadership became a helpful asset in the season ahead because look what happens next verse 23 about that time that is when all these great things were happening and when Paul chose to stay in Asia and Ephesus for a time it was about that time it says that there arose a great commotion the language speaks there of of a riotous uproar a huge upheaval about the way and we've talked about before the way is a title in the book of Acts for Christians those who followed the way of the Lord and Luke's now going to describe to us in our verses ahead this great commotion or riot that happened over the way, over Christianity and those who are following the ways of the Lord. Look at verse 24. He describes it. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He was making good money, as others were. And he called together the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, that is all the province of Asia Minor, this Paul has persuaded and turned away, he says, many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of being falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed whom all Asia he says in the world worship now when they heard this at the union meeting they were full of wrath and they cried out saying great is Diana of the Ephesians so notice the pagan idolatrous worship system of the goddess Diana was losing participants and it was affecting the economy in Ephesus it was affecting this trade guild of silversmiths who were making great money attached to the worship of the goddess Diana so let's talk about this together first let's understand if we could what the worship of Diana was all about verse 27 gives us a little bit of description about it verse 27 speaks of how there in Ephesus was the temple of the great goddess Diana it says whom not only Ephesus, but all of Asia came, the whole world, it says, even there to worship. Glance over in verse 35, we're also told about this worship system that the city clerk said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? So this great goddess Diana, also referred to as Artemis, was basically the goddess of fertility and of sexual pleasure among the people in that day. And what basically transpired, legend was told that Zeus had thrown down this image from the sky as a representation of the goddess Diana. 
And this image that fell from the sky was basically like a, a, a meteorite, a black charred bumpy stone that had come down from the sky and legend said that Zeus had thrown it down and they took this bumpy black charred piece of stone that fell and they shaped it then into a woman's face and took all the other bumps on it and then made it into this multi-breasted woman so it was basically a woman that had a woman's face with then all the other bumps shaped into breasts and the idea of the multi-breasted statue was to imply her fertility power that she could give fertility and to kind of basically be utilized in a way, if you can imagine, almost like a, a pornographic image, if you would, whereby people would look upon this idol, this statue, this multi-breasted woman, and as they looked upon this image, which was quite pornographic in nature, it aroused sexual desire when the people looked upon it and caused them, therefore, to want to participate in the rites of worshiping the goddess Diana. There in Ephesus, where her temple was established, they built this incredible temple, which actually became, in its greatness, the temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And there within it, was housed this pornographic statue where people would come and they would be aroused and they would engage in the moral sexual practices, both heterosexual and homosexual, with the temple priests and priestesses, which were basically just prostitutes for hire to perhaps, in a way, show your devotion and give your donation to the temple there of the goddess Diana. And like all forms of evil or even religious systems, it always seems people try and make money off of such things. And that's what we see happening in our verses here. This business of this man Demetrius and his fellow tradesmen who are very angered now that the temple worship of the goddess Diana is kind of being disrupted by this work of the Lord. There in verse 24, we read how Demetrius, it says, was a silversmith who made shrines, that is, little statues, little icons made of silver, that were representations, these mini statues of Diana. He basically made and sold these little silver souvenirs, if you would, when you came there to worship Diana, so that people could basically take a miniaturized version home of this little pornographic image so that they could then go back home and use the image privately. And they could just carry on whenever they wanted to in the privacy of their own home, looking upon this little image and indulging in the what they called worship of the goddess Diana and this adultery and idolatry anywhere they could. And the silver, silver statue business, what began to happen, you can see, started to suffer as Paul the Apostle started preaching the gospel and people were sharing the word of the Lord in the area. And it started to get disrupted. That's why we read about here that Demetrius calls everybody together and he makes mention there in verse 24, Luke tells us that he brought no small profit by doing this business of making these little gold shrines or excuse me, silver shrines of Diana. The, the implication there is he was making a huge profit and it was very prosperous. Making these little silver statues and selling them to people that came was a very, very lucrative business. He was making incredible money off of this practice, even as, look, folks, even as pornography and drug dealing and religious racketeering bring great wealth 
to many people from a business perspective. These business practices in their evil activities are making money off of dark and sinful things that ruin people's lives, that pollute societies, and yet many, just like Demetrius, are using evil business practices to profit and make money off of people. And Demetrius and the silversmiths, they were making these shrines and things started to suffer business-wise when the ministry of the Lord began to really have an impact on the community. People's lives were changing and they're now following the truth and they're recognizing the error of this whole idolatrous worship system. And the Holy Spirit is saving people and their desires are changing. And now they want to honor the Lord and they don't want to go practice this idolatry anymore because their desires are being changed. You might well say because salvation was up, sales were down in the silver shop. And this became a real problem. This became something that upset them, was cutting into their profits. So verse 25 says he calls together all the workers. It's almost like Demetrius was, you know, maybe kind of like the, again, kind of the the president of the silversmith guild. And he calls together all the workers and he says to them, look, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. He says, look, gentlemen, we all know we make good money off of the people doing what we do. And he says, I don't know if you've taken notice, but I sure have. Look, we need to rally together here and do what we can to stop this because the sales charts are reflecting that our profits are down. And this is going to destroy our business. This is going to cause us to lose the great wealth that we're enjoying. And then he identifies in verse 26 who and what was to blame for the decline in sales. He says, you know and you've heard and see That not only, he says, just here in Ephesus in our own city, but throughout almost all of Asia, he says, this Paul guy, he's persuading and turning away many people saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So as Paul's just preaching the gospel of salvation, calling people to believe upon the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and to follow Jesus as Lord And he's teaching people the word of God consistently, regularly, setting the truth before them. He's giving them light so they can understand and see things clearly. They're beginning to recognize the error of these ways as they're now seeing the truth. And no doubt Paul's explaining to them in the midst of his teaching, listen, if something is made by the hands of a man and created by a man, how can it be a God? They're, they're creating these statues with their own hands. Why would you worship something that's created by another man? That's not a God, Paul would say. There's only one God, one true God, and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the Lord who was sent to us. And he is who we should worship and follow. And we should turn away from these other things. And the Spirit of God was changing lives. Verse 26 says, not only in Ephesus, but all of Asia Minor, People were turning away from the evil that they were doing and they were now turning towards worshiping and serving Jesus. So verse 27, Demetrius says in the meeting, so not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but he says the great goddess Diana and her temple are going to be despised. And her magnificence is going to be destroyed. He says, whom all Asia and the world come here to worship. And when the union members heard that, verse 28, they were full of wrath 
and started chanting in the meeting, in the hall, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So as Demetrius declares what's going on in the midst of this meeting, they hear the things that he's saying to them, how their trade and financial profits are going to be shipwrecked, how the economy is going to crash because of this. And more than that, Diana's magnificence, this system of worship that they were so proud of that they all grew up with is now being kind of dishonored in their midst. He knows, Demetrius does, that people care about their checkbook. He knows that people also are incredibly defensive of a religious system they're accustomed to. You know, isn't it amazing? I mean, how, you know, there are times you can talk to somebody if you're trying to share the Lord with them. Maybe they grew up in a particular religious religious system and they don't even really even participate in it. They're not even actively following that religious system. But if you begin to say anything that infers any offense that that's wrong and just following Jesus Christ in a relationship with him as Lord and Savior is the right way, it's like, don't you talk about my mama? Amen. Right? I mean, have you ever noticed that? I mean, and they get all, they get all agitated. So Demetrius knows this. So he plays the card. Hey, this is going to cut into our profits and, and the magnificence of our religious system that our city is known for is going to be diminished. And when he does this, all the people get so full of wrath, they start protesting great as Diana of the Ephesians. And look, folks, Demetrius does not care an ounce, honestly, about the worship of Diana. He honestly doesn't even care about the people he's manipulated. He's worried about one thing, his own financial status. That's the only thing that he's concerned about. He loves his money and the lucrative lifestyle that he's earned through this business. And that's why he's so angered about the thought of some spiritual movement ruining his profits, cutting into his very lucrative lifestyle. The idea here is Demetrius is thinking, you know, this following the Lord thing, this is disrupting the lifestyle I've been enjoying. I mean, I've been enjoying a certain lifestyle and this follow Jesus thing. This is starting to cut into the way that I live and I don't like this. And, and such is the case when people are making money through evil practices. If they start to lose their wealth, they get upset by it. They get angered and if something starts to disrupt their profit or their lifestyle materialism because they care nothing about people and they just see people as a means to enrich themselves, they get angry. They get irritated and become very bothered because their worship is the idol of money. And please do not ever ignore the fact that money and wealth is just as much a form of worship and idolatry as all kinds of other things. I mean, truth be told, it is quite sad and astonishing what people will do even in harming others and destroying people's lives to make money. And the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it is the love, not money, the love, the worship, the devotion to, the love of money that is the root to all kinds of evil. What's the root to the pornography industry? Money. The love of money. That's what the root of that kind of stuff is. What's the root of so many things? You know, again, drug dealing and sex trafficking. And, I mean, the root of that is money. It's people want the money of it. 
even the abortion industry, a great amount of that is driven by a very lucrative, profitable opportunity there. And the love of money can lead people to do incredible things. Yet as seen here and in history, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and a powerful move of God's spirit at times will shake up a society. Sometimes it will even disrupt the economy on a large level or even just on a personal level because people's lives get changed by the Lord and they lose evil. They lose interest in their prior practices of evil because they don't want to buy the drugs no more. You know, they don't want to pay for or look at the pornography. And, and people all of a sudden, they don't have the same interest in evil things and now they desire to spend their money differently. That happens when the Lord's work begins to happen in people's lives or among a community or in a family. You know, just look through different times in history. For example, like the Welsh revival that happened in the early 1900s. When the Welsh revival broke out, bars closed down. It tells us that as the result of that, prostitution diminished and the police had no work to do. They were having to lay off police officers because people, there was nothing to do. People weren't committing crimes as much because they were trying to live wholesome and righteous lives. It's even said, I don't know if it's true, but quite humorous, that even in the mines when the Welsh Revival broke out, that those who had worked in the mines were having trouble with their mules to continue to conduct their work because the mules had become so accustomed to harsh profanity that the workers used to direct them, cursing at them, that when they weren't using profanity anymore, the mules were confused and didn't know how to follow the new commands. And so they were struggling because all these, again, these things were happening and people were changing and it was having this great impact. And that's what we see here. So Demetrius, he wants to stir up a protest and he's going to do a good job to put a stop to this influence of the Lord. Notice verse 29 says, so the whole city, so it started out as an angry union mob, but now the whole city was filled with confusion and they rushed into the theater, a theater that we found references to some theaters there upwards to 25,000 people in the seating capacity so this is a massive theater that they could have gone into with one accord the whole city and they seized Gaius and Aristarchus Macedonians Paul's travel companions so this small meeting becomes so infuriated it infuses anger and it spills over into the whole city we're told now into this riotous mob who rushes with confusion and chaos into this massive theater and maybe they can't find Paul. So verse 29 says they just start grabbing companions of Paul's to bring into this theater with ill intent. And verse 30 says, and when Paul wanted to go into the people, he wants to go into this chaotic riot, the disciples would not allow him. I mean, you have to love Paul. I mean, the great love that this guy has for his companions in service and ministries, thinking, I got to get in there and protect them. That should have been me, and they grabbed them. Or maybe, I don't know, Paul even could be thinking, as he did sometimes, that's a great opportunity to preach. I mean, that's a theater in there. I could get on a stage this time, and everybody's seated. And, and, and as Paul wants to go in there, thankfully, the disciples, realizing the danger of doing that, it says there in verse 30 that the disciples, they wouldn't allow him. They're like, Paul, for your own welfare, no way. And, and they hold him back and they're trying to do what they can to protect him. But Paul must have been persistent because look at verse 31. It says, then after that, some of the officials of Asia who were his friends. That's interesting. Paul had friends who were city officials. They sent to him 
pleading, begging him that he would not venture in to the theater. So ultimately, some of Paul's friends, who were also political officials, they become involved, maybe exerting their influence of authority as political officials, reinforcing Paul, stay out of that theater. This is a mob. It is a city riot. We need to get this under control. Do not go in there. And they plead with him. And it seems at this point, Paul was finally willing to sense, okay, maybe this is the Lord trying to redirect me not to go into that theater. And let me say by way of application, this is how you can often tell when your good intentions are really not good ideas. Sometimes we may have good intentions. I'm sure Paul's intentions were good, but his good intentions really wasn't a very good idea. And here's how you can tell, verse 30 and 31, when people who love you and care about you are all trying to hold you back. And they're saying, that's a good intention, but we love you. That is not a good idea. Not a good idea. And whether it's fellow disciples in the Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ, or you know, believers or friends that you have, or people who are in authority, and if they are all trying to hold you back from doing something, Perhaps that's the Lord trying to redirect you, to protect you, to keep you from rushing into something that you shouldn't. Because when emotions are high and situations are intense, sometimes it's best to refrain, to keep out of something and not rush into something and get involved. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes there's a time to embrace and there's a time to refrain from embracing. A lot of times we just want to, in the you know, moment, the impulse, we just want to embrace something and get our hands in there. And sometimes the Lord says, no, wisdom sometimes refrains from embracing and says, you know what? I'm going to keep my hands off on that one. I'm going to stay out of this one. I'm going to not get involved this time. I'm not, I'm just going to refrain from engaging there. And sometimes that's God's wisdom in given situations to let God just work in different ways without us. Verse 32 says, some therefore cried one thing. This is this humorous description of what's going on. Some are yelling one thing, some are yelling another, for the assembly was confused and most of them didn't even know why in the world they were there in the theater having a riot. And that's, that's, that's the mob mentality, right? You, whether you go to a ballpark or when you were maybe in high school, right? There's a fight. And all these people, are you know, everybody's rushing together, this big mob. And, and it's amazing how human beings, we're, we're genuinely like we heard. And we just, we don't, I don't even know why I'm doing it, but everybody else is doing it. Great is Diana the Ephesians. Why are we doing this? I don't know. Yell at man. Great is Diana the Ephesians. And they don't even know what they're there for. There's just all this high-charged energy and confusion. They're angry about what God's doing, and they don't even know clearly why they're so angry. You know, James again tells us regarding wisdom that is not from God. In chapter 3, James says, Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing is there. That's what's happening in this mob here, this crazy riot that's going on. Verse 33 says, And then they drew Alexander out of that multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand, wanting to make defense to the people. But when they found out that Alexander was a Jew, all with one voice, they then cried out, look at this, for about two hours straight, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Talk about a high-charged mob taking place. 
So at one point, the Jews put forth Alexander, hoping maybe that he could make a defense for some clarity until they, you know, you know, kind of got things calmed down and maybe trying to settle things down. But it tells us here that when they found out that Alexander was a Jew, they instantly shut off. They refused to listen to him, pushed him aside, and just started chanting louder and louder more intensely for two hours straight. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Probably knowing that he was Jewish, made their minds connect to the fact that, okay, that means he's also connected to this Yahweh God and to these Old Testament scriptures. And isn't that what Paul stands for? Isn't that what Paul's connected to? And simply because of his identity alone, who he represented, they have hateful animosity and they refuse to listen to him in any way. And you know what? When hateful anger towards just certain groups or identities happens... People to this day still respond the same way. Oh, he represents what? They represent what? What's their identity? And then all of a sudden, they just shut down, and and if anything, not just shut down, but even try and silence somebody in any way that could threaten their agenda. And so this is what's happening. We're not going to let that guy, if he's Jewish, threaten our agenda here. We are standing for the worship of the goddess Diana of the Ephesians. So verse 35 says, and when the city clerk, which would be kind of a reference to the city mayor, don't picture like the registrar's office, the the mayor this would kind of be, quieted the crowd. He said, men of Ephesus, what man is there here who does not know, he says, the city of Ephesians is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus. So again, kind of the mayor of the city, he's trying to qualm down the, the situation that's going on to quell the fire to get everybody to settle down he says look you don't need to try and prove the value of diana he says who doesn't know in this whole region how important the great goddess diana is everybody comes here and knows her importance he says verse 36 therefore since these things cannot be denied you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly says since we should be secure knowing what we know he says there's no need to get all worked up and and he says by all means he says don't do anything rashly that is impulsive some impulsive hasty decision that is just being directed by uncontrolled emotion in the moment because you're reacting to what happened that you don't like and let me just say Though I do not agree with the support of the worship of Diana, I do have to give it to the mayor for not having bad advice there. His advice is rather sound. For times when emotions are high and anger is running high, oftentimes the right approach is be quiet and don't do anything rash. Be quiet and don't do anything rash. Don't get impulsive and just react take time and be wise and respond in an appropriate way well the city official goes on then verse 37 saying for you brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess therefore if demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone the courts are open and there are pro-councils or judges to hear such matters let them bring their charges against one another But if you have another inquiry to make, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. So what the mayor is trying to do is speak some reason to the people. And he says in our verses here, look, notice, Paul was not violating laws. 
Paul wasn't doing anything that was aggressive uh, to try and stop even in a forceful way the worship of Diana. He says, look, these men aren't robbers of temples. They haven't caused any civil violation. Paul's not conducting political marches, anti-idolatry rallies. He's not picketing the, you know, the, the, the shops where they're making little idols and selling them. He's not you know, boycotting the temple. He's not blaspheming your goddess. That is, Paul wasn't preaching against Diana. Paul was just releasing the gospel. Paul was just teaching the truth and telling people, follow Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, lives were being transformed and people were turning to the Lord. And as a result of that, they were turning away from all these other things. But Paul's not taking all this political activism and fighting and boycotting and picking. He's just relying on the Holy Spirit's power to transform the community as he's just preaching the gospel and teaching the word of God. So he says, look, there's no laws being broken. If there was, he says, there are courts and pro-councils for these things. But he says, what's happening needs to be taking place, verse 39, he says, in a lawful assembly. Verse 40 says, for we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar, for this riot. There being no reason that we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. What the city mayor was worried about is civil rebellion under the Roman Empire was not tolerated. And if a leader in a particular province or city anywhere under the Roman Empire did not keep civil disobedience completely under control, they would not only perhaps lose their position, they might lose their life. And so he's thinking in his mind, look, this is an out of control riot in this theater and if word gets back to Rome that our city is in riots in the streets in this disorderly gathering he says we are going to have the iron fist of Rome come upon us we're in jeopardy he says of causing a way bigger problem for our disorderly conduct so verse 41 says that his words prevailed because when he said these things he dismissed the assembly again thankfully this civil leader used his God-given authority to, in a sense, stop the angry riot and the mob and defuse things, and he restored peace and order back into his community. And Romans chapter 13 tells us that God has given his divine authority to civil leaders, government officials, police officers to do that very thing, to basically restore to disobedient, out-of-control people peace and order to the society. This is what they're supposed to you, to use their God-given authority to do what is necessary to subdue sinful and selfish people who are out of control, to protect innocent victims, to bring order and peace back to a society. And look, for that reason, that's why such individuals, government officials, police officers deserve our respect because that is a God-given ministry in a sinful, crazy world that keeps us safe, that protects us because they serve in those capacities. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. We conclude with this. It says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, and he embraced them. And then he departed to Macedonia. Now, let me say in connection to what we looked at this morning, thankfully, Paul remained present there in Ephesus amidst all this chaos that was going on. 
And because Paul stuck around and listened to the Holy Spirit, when this chaotic storm broke out circumstantially, his stable godly presence was there to help the people become settled again that were believers after all this stormy episode took place. I'm sure the events, would you agree, that happened in our chapter here, this riot mob, I'm sure that shook everybody up a little bit. I'm sure the believers got a little bit unsettled. Oh my goodness, there are riots in the streets just because we're trying to follow Jesus. There are people and angry mobs trying to hurt people, but it says after the uproar ceased, Paul being there and available, why? Because he listened to the Holy Spirit and he didn't leave. And he stayed where he was and he didn't know a riot was about to happen, but God knew a riot was about to happen. And because Paul stayed where he was, it says verse one there, that he then was able to call the disciples together and to embrace them. The term there in the original language is the same term used, the paracletus, to describe the comforting ministry and the help of the Holy Spirit. And because Paul was there and he was present, he was able to be a great comfort to encourage and help the people and make them feel secure once again. You know, perhaps recently in your life, some things have been taking place and the Spirit of God has been stirring things up and the powers of darkness have become overwhelmed and agitated and things are kind of chaotic. And a lot of times when that stuff takes place, we're tempted as believers to run, to abandon ship, to take off, to run. And look, we need to realize there's spiritual warfare that happens. And the devil loves to intimidate and cause people to flee and push us away when the reality is we should be standing strong in the power of the Lord. Ephesians 6 about spiritual warfare, there's one repeated phrase that keeps coming up again and again about spiritual warfare. It's this, stand. 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 It doesn't say rush forward and it doesn't say retreat. It says you stand. You stand. And see, you never know. Maybe you being willing to stand may make you be available for what God may want to use that's coming down the road. Let's stand together now and pray as we turn our hearts back to the Lord. Father.